You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Welcome to the Missionary Perspective Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Mead, over here in Senegal, West Africa. I want to thank you for joining us this week. We are privileged to be able to spend this time with you, and uh, we want to thank every one of you who take the time to listen to our podcast. Uh, Those of you who give input, those of you who respond, share, uh, we are very grateful for our audience, and it is our prayer, as, as always, that this podcast will continue to be a blessing to both those who work in the area of world evangelism and in missions, and also to those who love missions, support missionaries, and uh, just love the work of the Lord. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Eric and I are going to touch on the topic that is not often spoken of publicly or often by missionaries, and that is the topic of stress and uh, that that genre of difficulty on the mission field. Every one of us, no matter what line of work you're in, is going to face different levels of stress, whether it's your occupation, whether it's in your home, whether it's relationship stress, uh, whether it's uh, even at church among other believers. I mean, there's all kinds of areas in life can throw stress at us. On the mission field, there is no difference. There are stress factors that contribute to difficulties on the mission field. Uh, We just finished up, in fact, doing an entire couple weeks on working with teams and how you, if you are a team leader, how you can cultivate your leadership abilities and be a better servant. If you are on a team as a missionary, how you can be a better team member and a better partner. Just the other day, though, I was reading an article as we were prepping for the next few sessions that we're going to do on the subject of stress on the mission field. uh, One of the articles I came across shared that one of the biggest reasons why missionaries leave the field is because of stress that is resulted from uh, difficulty with working in teams. And so, We want to share a few more resources uh, in the future about working on teams. We believe it's biblical. We believe that if you are serving Jesus, you ought to be able to partner with other believers for the greater good of the advancement of his kingdom. Uh, But there are certain principles you need to put into place. If you haven't had a chance yet, go back and listen to the the uh, last few episodes we did on teamwork. But we're going to touch a little bit on that. This one, uh, this week, we're going to do something a little different. As I already mentioned, Eric and I are both going to share some personal stories of some uh, stress that we went through. Uh, I'm going to share one particular story, which I would say is probably my, my first real experience of culture shock. And the reason we're going to talk about stress on the mission field, while all of us face stress, there is something unique to living on the mission field and facing the same stress. When you face stress that, sure, you might face the same type of stress in the States, but when you're on a foreign field, when you are in a country that is not your own, there are so many more factors that are added to the stress that you might not even realize Uh, that can make it much more difficult to handle those burdens and that stress. And if we do not approach it correctly, if we do not uh, bear those burdens correctly, if we aren't 
walking with the Lord and putting biblical principles into practice, that stress can really get to us. And it's destroyed really the, the careers of many missionaries. Um, many missionaries have had to come home because you just, you reach a breaking point. And so we're going to take the next couple of weeks and look at this area of how to recognize stress on the mission field, how to recognize uh, when you need to take a break, how to recognize how to put biblical principles into practice so that you can alleviate some of that stress and uh, just try to be open. We're going to try to be open and honest as we always are. We're not professionals, but we do have experience as missionaries of stress. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a few articles and see what other missionaries uh, have written, those with years of experience and those who have uh, specialized in that field of dealing with stress. We want to break that down and get a little more detailed in the next couple of weeks. But this week, I wanted to share a particular story of my first experience with what I would say is, was real culture shock and how this stressful situation uh, God ended up using for the advancement of his work, for the glory of his name. And I think with all that we're going to look at with facing stress, number one, I would say the number one principle for facing stress, whether it's on the mission field, if you're a missionary or you're living in the States and uh, you know a faithful church member working a job somewhere, uh, no matter what the situation is, for the believer you need to step back and understand God is in control. God is sovereign. God's going to take care of this. God knows what you're going through. Uh, he's allowing you to face what you're facing. Situations arise. And he's given us his word. And he's given us his grace. And he's given us his spirit in order to guide us and to help us and empower us to face these trying situations. And uh, if it wasn't for the grace of God, if I hadn't recognized the hand of God in it, then I think this this might have been uh, one of those situations where after it was over, uh, our family look at each other and say, yeah, I don't know if this is for us. And it does happen. And so uh, we really need to prayerfully ask the Lord to help us to face all kinds of situations, especially if you're a missionary in the mission field. So my first couple of years, I don't think I really specifically can put my finger on any one factor that I said, this, oh, this was culture shock. This is what I was facing. And even unconsciously, I was going through this difficulty and it began to bear fruit later and some negativity that was coming out or bitterness. There was nothing really I could put my finger on. Uh, Senegal is the only country we know. I have visited other countries, but when I was a freshman in Bible college, I knew I was going to Senegal, West Africa. It's the only country that I am very familiar with here in Africa. And so I, I don't have another reference point. Uh, I didn't have another country to compare it to. And so we expected it to be bad in the sense of it being a difficult transition. And so we, we were expecting certain things. And I think if you go into it with an expectation of reality, not negativity, but just in reality, this is the way it is. It's going to be tough. These are some of the situations that are going to be difficult. And we'll face those as we come. And I think that because my wife and I had this expectation of reality of what we were going to face, uh, the difficulties and how long it will take to see a church work get started, we, we understood the reality of these things. Uh, I think that because of that, we didn't face immediately any major culture shock during our first term. I remember we did our first furlough and there there's struggles there. We'll talk about some of the 
reverse culture shock is you return to the States and some of the difficulties and stress that comes with your furloughs and returning to the States and the transitions and traveling and all of that. We'll talk about that in a future episode. We finished our first furlough though. We came back and uh, we were here a few years and a gentleman uh, in our church had led a police officer to Christ. Now that there are different pockets of ethnic groups scattered throughout Senegal. And one of the uh, main ethnic groups that are responsive to the gospel right now, the Jola people, they are mostly located in the south of Senegal. We don't have a ministry down there yet. There are only a few missionaries down there. Uh, but many of the people who attend our church are from the south. Many are responsive to the gospel. Well, this gentleman uh, was a police officer who had been stationed here and uh, a gentleman in our church who is from the south of Senegal. He's a faithful member, faithful uh, evangelist, sharing the gospel faithfully. Uh, began sharing the gospel with this gentleman who was having really a lot of difficulties in his family. His, uh, I didn't know the whole story until we sat down and discussed it, but back in his home in the South, something went down between his family and the village he was from and his brother, and they ended up putting some sort of a curse on him, all right? We're not going to go into all the details of all of that, but I mean, animism was the main religion, and this this stuff is real, the witch doctor and all of that. It was messed up, and so they put a curse on him, and because of this curse that they put on him and his brother, his brother ended up actually taking his own life, and it was quite a gruesome uh, thing that had happened. Uh, it was almost it was hard for the family to process what exactly had happened, how he died, and all of this. And so his brother, the police officer, who uh, his name is Bruno, he was stationed up here. He took and began taking care of his brother's child. Uh, sent him up here to live with the family, with Bruno, his wife, and uh, his child. He had one child. And so he's taking care of him. But there was this psychological fear, this this uh, torment that he was dealing with. This That was just difficult. I, I can't even begin to imagine a family and village putting a curse on you and your brother taking his own life in a very gruesome manner. Um, and so that, that was playing on his mind heavily. He was really dealing with some demonic oppression. And this gentleman in our church ended up uh, doing some, sat down with him, shared the gospel with him. And and as he began to fully understand his need for Jesus, he repented. He put his faith in Jesus Christ and was born again. We came back and I was introduced to him and he was, man, you could just see, I hadn't met him before, but you could see a joy in his eye. I remember the first meeting we had with him, he, we were going to study the Bible together at his house. And so he came out with his pack of cigarettes in one end, the Bible in the other hand. He's like, man, I'm ready to go. I said, all right, let's do it. So we sat down, started studying the Bible together. And uh, little by little, we would work with him. He was very busy as a police officer. But one thing we noticed was that he he had never uh he he didn't have much time to attend church um we tried to do discipleship as much as we could i would meet with him as many times as we could um and we were letting the spirit of god work in his life and he was growing it, it seemed uh i i do believe his confession of christ was sincere that he was saved long story short after a few months went by maybe six months went by one of the areas I noticed, he hadn't yet been able to shake his his dependency on alcohol. A lot of people from the South drink a lot of alcohol, and that has a lot of 
you know, connotations with that, with alcoholism and uh, drunkenness that can really take a toll on a person, not only physically, but also uh, spiritually and mentally. And so while he seemed to be growing, that alcohol still had a hold on his life. And so the stronger hold it would take, I noticed he was getting further and further away from being faithful to Bible studies and discipleship. And we were really trying to push and help him as much as we could. And we didn't realize that he was still struggling mentally, psychologically with the entire situation. And later he told me when I sat down with him after an incident took place, he told me later that he was st- he was struggling so much with uh, the death of his brother and with his village having put this curse on him that he got to a point in this struggle and in this stress and in this burden that he sincerely felt that if he didn't die and because he didn't die because of the curse, because he had found the Lord and this curse had no power over him, but he couldn't shake the thought that they would come and either try to kill him or kill his children. Um, And it was very real to him. This fear was very real because he had witnessed things like that before in the past. He knew how real and how serious this was. And so there was a day that came by, we get a call and he had attempted to take his own life. I won't go into the details of how he did it, but uh, we drove over to the house and he was in a bad, he was in bad shape and we knew he needed medical care immediately. And the reason he had attempted to take his own life, he explained to me later was because he thought that they would come and kill his kids and the child of his brother. And he didn't want that to happen. And so in order to protect his family, he thought if I'm dead, then they won't come and harm them. And so he attempted to take his own life. He was in need, desperate need of medical care. And this is where my first experience of culture shock kicked in. We, we thought, well, our other missionary colleague was here. We thought, man, what do we do? Do we drive him to the capital where there is better health care? Or do we drive him uh, you know, to the hospital here and try to get something done, pump his stomach? And maybe if we can pump his stomach with something that he had swallowed, that that can that can maybe save his life and give an opportunity to maybe save and salvage the damage he had done. And so we finally just thought, okay, it's four hours to the Capitol. Let's get him to the hospital here. So we drove him to the hospital. We checked him in. And that's when I began to see really the reality and the coldness. While people will take care of you here, we don't have the best health care here. The better health care is in the Capitol. Um, and they do have good doctors here that, that, do their best with the resources they have. They're very limited resource, resources. But in Africa, and specifically in our country, uh, in an Islamic, predominantly Islamic country, when somebody attempts to take their own life, um, both in the Roman Catholic view of those who live here and the Islamic view of those who live here, if you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. And people don't want to even touch you. And so the first thing I noticed was they took him and isolated him and put him in this separate room. And I'm looking on my phone. I'm looking up, you know, what do you do when this happens? You know, what he had done, this thing he had done to himself. I'm like, okay, is there a way, a medical procedure that we can reverse what he did, that we can help him? And I found something online, something that if it said if you do within the first few hours, it can maybe help to salvage what he had done. And so uh, I 
go to my doctors. I'm like, Hey, you got to try to do this. Like, Oh, we'll, you know, we'll get to it. It was just, there was this coldness and this callousness, uh, the sergeant of the, uh, not the sergeant, but one of his partners showed up from the police. I said, Hey, look, they're not doing anything here. They just got him in a side room. Why don't you let us take him to the hospital in the car? He said, look, it's a police matter now. Um, you've already checked him in the hospital here. We'll take care of it from here. Uh, because he was, he's a police officer, we cover the medical. And so he has to go through a process of being taken care of through the process that we do. And uh, I said, look, man, this is urgent. If we don't reverse this immediately, if we don't get this procedure done immediately, it's going to be bad. We, we've got to try to do this. And he just said, you know, we'll do what we can do. And I sat there and just was putting pressure on. Come on, let's do something. My missionary colleague, he as well was trying to put pressure on. And they just left him in this room. And there was just this coldness and this callousness. And I began to just to sense something within me, this confusion, this frustration, this stress began to arise because this is a human life. And people just seem so callous and indifferent with trying to help him and save his life uh, that I eventually, I got so upset, I had to leave the hospital. So I just, I walked out because nobody was doing anything. And I obviously, I wasn't able to do anything. So I just left and um, we we got in touch with somebody else. We said, hey, we got to get him to a hospital in Dakar. I'll pay for his bill. I'll, I'll do what we got to get him to the best hospital. And this other police officer said, no, look, he has to go to a specific hospital in the capital. This is the one where the police officers are treated. I said, all right, well, do we, we can drive him there. They said, no, we'll get an ambulance and we'll take him there. And I said, all right, can you get him there tonight then? Like, what are we waiting for? And they said, well, look, uh, we called the hospital and they don't have, number one, it's a Friday night. They don't have any beds available. And number two, even if it, we could get them there, the doctors don't work on the weekends at this hospital. I said, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you, you can't call a doctor in to get this taken care of? Like, this is an emergency. And he looked at me and this is where, I, again, I had to walk away and just kind of cool off. He looked at me and said, Look, if it's an urgency and it's if it's an emergency today, it'll still be an emergency on Monday. We'll get them there on Monday and try to see what we can do. And I, I didn't know what to say. I was so upset, and I didn't realize that right now I'm going through this this culture shock because not only is it fresh anybody for anybody, this would be a frustrating situation. But I'm trying to comprehend the mindset of another culture, trying to process how they approach death and suicide and medical care and just this what i interpreted as callousness and as indifference and hardness um i wasn't able to process everything that was going on and so i mean the stress is rising up the frustration is rising up and i just had to leave again so i left we get out i'm, I'm making phone calls i'm trying to trying to work something out or trying to figure out what to do finally i get a call and they said hey so we were able to get a bed at the hospital so we've got him in, in an ambulance and we're going to take him there but there's no guarantee that a doctor will be available but we are tonight going to get him there would you be able to drive his wife to the capital so she can be there with him i said absolutely i'm going to come back downtown and i'm going to catch up with the wife pick her up at the hospital and uh, we'll drive directly to dakar and we'll try to meet you guys there at the uh, hospital so I begin making my way back downtown. There's a bridge, one bridge that goes to the downtown where the hospital is. So you cross this bridge. And I remember I get across the bridge 
and I'm, I'm just focused. I'm trying to process this whole event. I just, the stress is rising and all of that. So as I get across the bridge, it's a one way street. So I make my way around to the uh, right. And, uh, as I'm going around the post office to make my way to the hospital, this car from behind me just comes whipping around and cuts me off and stops in front of me. The passenger jumps out and just starts screaming at me. And I'm thinking, what is going on? What is this guy's problem? And he's yelling, you cut us off and you didn't have the right of way and this and that, which I did. I, I didn't even know where he came from, but it's a one way and I did have a right of way. But all that being said, uh, the driver gets out and it's a gentleman dressed in police uniform. And I'm thinking, oh man, these guys are police officers. What on earth is going on? The one, the one who's doing all the yelling, he was dressed in civilian clothes. And so the other police officer comes over and he says, hey, you cut us off. And so, uh, you know, that wasn't right. And the other police officer who is dressed in the civilian clothes, he says, you're going to follow us. I'm taking you over. We're writing up a ticket. You're getting a ticket for cutting us off. I said, what What are you talking about? I didn't cut you off. I'm, I said, look, I'm on my way to the hospital to pick up one of your police officers, Bruno. Do you know Bruno and the whole situation? And this police officer looked at me, the one dressed in civilian clothes. He looked at me. And he said, I know who Bruno is, and I don't give a rip about what's going on with Bruno. I said, Bruno could die. He said, I don't care if he dies. You're coming to the police station, and you're getting a ticket. And something just snapped in me, and I, I had to just sit back. Because, I mean, what, what is going on right now? What, what? I, I just couldn't process it. And so they get back in the car. I'm trying to just stay focused. I'm trying to stay calm. And they start driving and they go the opposite direction of the police station. The police station was to the left uh, and they to the right and they start heading to the left. So we go all the way to the other end of the island and the police officer in, in the police officer uniform, he jumps out and he, I said, well, what is going on? He's like, this is where I get off. You keep following him and he's going to escort you to the police station. And I said, what is going on? And I, and I remember I, I whispered as he was walking away. If Bruno dies, this is on you. And uh, right away, my heart pricked me. I, knew, I probably shouldn't have said that. He turned around and said, what did you say? I said, uh, you wanted me to follow him, right? He said, yeah, just follow him. I said, okay. <laughs> so he says, you follow him and uh, you just keep going his direction and uh, follow him to the police station and just do whatever he says. I said, all right. So, so we get back in the car. The other guy gets in the driver's seat. The other police officer in the civilian clothes makes his way back to the police station. We get to the police station. I'm trying to process all of this. I have no idea what's going on. You know, why is this happening? I'm supposed to pick up Bruno's wife, you know, police officer here, and we're trying to save his life. And here, you know, there's this deal. I'm being told I've cut somebody off. It just, it's, it's an insane moment. And we walk into the police station, and there's probably about 20 police officers in the main lobby area. And we walk up to the desk, and he slaps my license down on the table and he starts yelling this two bomb this white guy cut me off uh, that's an infraction he's gonna pay a double fine which is like twelve thousand frank cfa which is like instead of a, a no what it come to six thousand six thousand cfa instead of three thousand cfa so instead of a instead of a six dollar fine it's gonna be a twelve dollar fine okay so it's not a huge deal but he's screaming, he's yelling, saying, this guy cut me off. And it's, 
something, and I, I think it's because of the stress, it was because of the culture shock I'm going through, trying to process everything. Something in me, I, I just burst out. And normally, I'm not like this. I don't burst out like this, especially with police officers. We always show the utmost respect for the police officers, even when they're wrong and they're uh, trying to uh, make stuff up, you know, things that happen. O always show the utmost respect for those in authority. It's just a principle, but just something in me snapped. And I raised my voice and I said, this is ridiculous. I didn't cut anybody off. And I'm trying to help Bruno out. He's your brother in arms. He's your police officer. And this guy is trying to cause trouble. And I'm trying to save his life. And you don't even care about Bruno's life. And this is just, and I can't even remember everything I said, but I just raised my voice and let him know how I felt. And it kind of went silent. All the police officers kind of stopped. And I felt a hand on my shoulder when I stopped. And I turn around and there's a police officer taller than me, looming over me. And I go, oh man, I'm in trouble. He says, uh, I want you to follow me. The police commissioner wants to see you. I thought, oh man, I'm in for it now. What have I done? <laughs> Lord, help me. Did I, did I lose control here? What have I done? And so uh, he takes me back, sits outside the office of the police commissioner. He says, wait right here. I wait about a minute. He says, all right, you can come in. So I come in, I'm sweating now. I'm thinking, oh, this, this entire situation is just a debacle. What is going on? And so I sit down and he's, he's writing, you know, really important guy here. It's the police commissioner for the entire city that we live in. And as he's writing, about 10 seconds, I'm sitting there. He pauses, he looks up, he says, hey, I want you to know that we know who you are. We know what you're doing for Bruno. And he said, on behalf of the entire police station, we want to thank you for what you're doing and uh, may God be with you. And I said, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I start calming down. My heart rate stops going down. And uh, I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, uh, look, if I, if I did cut him off, I, I'll pay the fine. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. That's fine. You can just go. I said, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. As we're walking out the door, the other police officer who escorted me in there, he said, hey, look, the other guy, he's a hothead. He's the sergeant. Nobody likes him anyway. So he said, uh, we appreciate what you're doing. And I get back in the car and it was like all of the, the stress and everything I'm trying to process, it just stopped. And this overwhelming calm and peace came over me. And I knew God's in control. God knows the situation here. God knows all about the culture here. He knows what's going to happen with Bruno. He knew this was going to take place. And if God wants to heal him, he'll heal him. If it doesn't work out, it won't work out. Everything is in God's hands. And it was that moment I realized that just trust the Lord, even in these intense stressful situations god has got this and so we were able to get him to the uh, hospital there and he did seem to recover some he was able to come back to his senses about a week and a half after this incident and he uh, said pastor i i was wrong to do what i did it was still up in the air whether or not he was going to survive but he did say you know i, I was wrong I, I i've asked jesus to forgive me I've asked my family to forgive me 
And if God would heal me, then I will trust him. But if not, he said, Pastor, I want my kids to have a Christian influence, make sure they know about Jesus, make sure they grow to learn the gospel and all of that. And we prayed together and um, about another week went by and unfortunately he didn't survive. He passed away. Uh, but again, we knew God was in all this. God was in control of all this. Uh, he, I was asked to do the funeral, um, which was in the Capitol. Probably about two or 300 police officers attended. Many of them were familiar with me because of San Luis and the city we're in and that whole incident with the sergeant. And because of that incident, another missionary I was telling this story to, he said, you know, Josh, in Africa, there's an appropriate time to, to be zealously upset, not lose your temper, but to, to be zealous that way. And he said, if you do it at the wrong time and you get upset at the wrong time, you can lose your testimony and just blow it, right? But he said, if you, if you express that zeal and that passion at the right time, uh, it'll go a long ways. And he said, that was the right moment to express that type of passion because it showed those other police officers your care and love for this their fellow police officer. And um, I thought well, that it kind of was contrary to my personality to behave that way in that intense moment. And I'm just, I trust the Lord that it was the Lord leading me in that, even though I felt it was an outburst of my stress. But again, if you just put your trust in the Lord, it's amazing how even in those moments that are overwhelming and are difficult to process, especially if you're on the mission field, you just trust the Lord that he's in control at the end of the day. And it's amazing how he works even the most difficult, crazy situations he works out to advance his glory. I was able to preach the gospel at his funeral to all of his family. Half of his family were Muslim, half of his family were Catholic, and another portion of his family were, um, were animistic. And then all the police officers who were there, probably 500 people in total at this funeral, that I was able to share a clear presentation of the gospel. And afterward, there were about 10 men that approached me and said, hey, we are followers of Jesus. We're born-again believers. And they said, we want you to know, we've been praying that God would not only save Bruno out of this situation of the curse with his family, that he would get saved out of it. He said, we want you to know, we believe God answered our prayer. And even though he's passed away, God answered our prayer that he came to salvation. And our prayer as well is that God would use his testimony to get the gospel to others. And he said, we believe that this was an answer to prayer, to our prayers that we've been praying for years for God to do a work among our people and among our village specifically and in our family. And we want to thank God for uh, your testimony and just how God worked all that out. And I even remember at the funeral, uh, after I gave the message, uh, the, the Catholic priest of the family was, was called upon to come up and give a final word. And I thought, oh man, he's going to, He's going to reverse everything I just said. He stood up and said, well, I, there's nothing more for me to add. Uh, I want to just reiterate everything that Pastor Dowda said there. Uh, I, we agree with. So I said, okay, well, not sure if you fully understand or agree with it, but hey, at least you didn't reverse it and you confirmed it. So that's good. And so I, I wanted to share that story because a lot of missionaries out there, especially if you're younger, 
sometimes we'll go through culture shock. You'll go through situations, intense situations like that, and it's either going to make or break you. And for me personally, I think the key was just understanding God is in control. That's it. God has a plan in every step and avenue and situation and difficulty that we go through. And it may not be easy to process, but if we begin there, God is in control, God has a plan in all of this, then I think it will be easier to process those difficulties. Well, I wanted to share that. Uh, next week, we're going to get a little more details into kind of how to face certain stress points. What are stress points on the mission field? I know Eric will have a story or two to share uh, in this podcast. Appreciate you taking the time to listen. I hope this story has been encouragement to you, whether you're a missionary going through culture shock or stress uh, that I hope it's encouraged you to step back and see God's sovereign control in in your life and in, in the life of your ministry. And then if you're a, a faithful listener who's a member of a church, supporter of missions and missionaries, I hope it's encouraged you to continue to pray for your missionaries as they go through stress and to recognize that God is he's doing a great work on the mission field. This is the Lord's work. And uh, he's going to advance his kingdom. We just have to trust his care. Thank you for listening, taking time to listen to this podcast. Be sure to like and share this podcast. Share it with somebody that you think it'll be an encouragement to. Leave a comment. Let us know you're listening. Let us know where you're from. And and if there are any other topics you want us to touch upon, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. God bless.